0: Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to Mallory.
1: Passion work sometimes can really be scary because it's like, you're not just saying, oh, let me sell you a car, right? You're like, let me ask you for your money to support these people. And if you say no, then I'm letting these people down or I'm letting this cause down. And in reality, all of that fretting and all that struggle is energy energy that can be put into the next ask or energy that can be put into the recovery or the process of breaking it down. Right. But we just get so caught up in this. It's me. It's me. I'm not good enough. I messed up versus it is what it is. The other stuff is just the story I'm telling myself.
0: Welcome back to episode two of What the Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. Today, I'm interviewing Donovan Taylor Hall. He's an educator and content creator and youth advocate, and he is doing incredible work around social, emotional learning for young people. We found so much synergy between the nonprofit sector, education, fundraising, And one of the things that really stood out to me is at one point in the interview, I asked him, if you could give young people three superpowers, what would they be? And he talks about gratitude, positive self-talk, and a growth mindset. And you'll see that I get a little bit choked up actually in that moment, because if I could give fundraisers three things, three superpowers, it would be those two. So we talk a lot about how to ground down in your why, how to create inner safety, This is an episode for people who are doing heart-centered work that is deeply vulnerable and deeply personal and how to figure out how to keep going when things get really tough. I cannot wait for you to meet Donovan. I have been inspired by him from the moment I first heard him speak. This interview was so much fun and so moving. So let's dive in. First of all, I'm just so excited to have had you here with me today. I obviously have been following your work for a while, but just tell everyone who you are and what brings you to this moment in time.
1: My name is Donovan Taylor Hall, and I am a youth advocate. I believe in helping kids build positive relationships with themselves, and I do that through uh, curriculum and content creation for kids. I believe very deeply in the power of self-talk, growth mindset, and gratitude, not just for kids, but for humans in general. And I'm here today to ground myself in my why a little bit more and how this moves me through the world.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Okay. So tell me a little bit about like, what does the power of why like mean to you? What does that even mean for you to be anchored in your why?
1: I think that my why is my commitment. And that sometimes when we think about commitments, we live kind of in a society that pushes ourselves to, I think, overcommit ourselves a lot. And that's to people and to causes and to things and beliefs and stuff. But for me, so when I used to think about commitment, I used to think about overcommitted I was. And I would think about how anxious and, and stressful and exhausting it was. But I think when I found this work with kids, when I really discovered this work, everything else felt kind of like different the commitment was, I want to help kids. And it started as kind of this thought of like, I want to help kids. And then, you know, eight, nine years later, it's turned into, this is exactly what it looks like. I've created and developed that. And I think that a lot of times with causes, it does really start with just like a thought and, and really kind of traveling forward with it and, and listening and, and being curious and putting yourself in positions to explore that thought and help it expand and grow. For me, the vision, this commitment is so big now that it lives outside. It's almost like, it's like a baby, it's like a toddler. And so I'm just like chasing behind it, trying to make sure that everyone else is treating it well and stuff. But before it felt like it was living in me. And what I realized by shifting and saying, okay, I'm committed to this goal, I'm committed to this thought, but really shifting from I'm committed to this, to what is my why Really gave me what feels like, honestly, superpowers in a sense, because the more that I grounded myself and reminded myself of what was at stake for the kids, but also for myself, what's at stake, the more that I was able to get rid of, or not even get rid of, but just move past those internal barriers. So when I say grounded in my why, it means that, you know, things will be difficult. It means that I might have to pivot. The way I started this work compared to where I am right now, I've gone so far, but what stayed the same is my why. And so I think that sometimes we get really rigid and it has to look this way. It has to be this way. And if I can remember my why, I can always come back to that and say, is the work I'm doing connected to my why? Is what I'm putting out there connected to it? Then I feel comfortable with changing and growing with it. And I actually went to school for social entrepreneurship when my grad school. And we talked a lot about that, but they they were kind of putting on me, it has to look this way, it has to be this way. They were saying it needs to be a nonprofit or it needs to be an after-school thing. And I said, Well, I have this bigger vision and I wanna impact more people and I wanna use my strengths and my skills. And they said no. And I said, okay, cool. Well, I'm gonna keep moving forward right? Like you're not going to stop me because you're trying to make me, you're trying to make this, my why fit this box. And it doesn't fit it much bigger than that. So I've had a lot of experience with, I think, having to be vulnerable and put myself out there to really push this cause. And I, and when I doing the today show and stuff like that, and the now this story, you know, people are like, well, this is inspiring. And I'm like, this is me like crying on national TV. This is me talking about hating myself. This is me talking about mental health and and my depression, what people are calling inspiring is like my personal trauma. And I think that the reason it hasn't messed me up or the reason that it hasn't really, you know, bothered me, the fact that I put it out there is because it is very much connected to my why, which is I want to help take care of kids. I want to help change the conversation around what's happening with kids in this country. And if that means I got to be vulnerable, I'll do it. But if I say I'm just vulnerable, And hopefully something good will come out of this. That's not enough, right? But like, just literally, I would watch the video and start to feel a little bit like, oh, my God, people are watching this. And then I'm like, oh, wow. But then maybe kids are watching this, right? Maybe people who work with kids are watching this and feeling inspired. And so as soon as I can kind of come back to that, almost like it's my breath, right? If I can come back to that, what's my why? Then all that fear, all of that anxiety, all that negative feedback, it just goes away.
0: Okay, so there's so much I want to talk about about what you just shared. But first, I just want to say, tell us the dream.
1: So it's it's so interesting because I've had kind of phases of dreams where I think when I was 24, because I'm 31 right now, when I was 24, I remember thinking like, I want to run a program for kids. Like I want to teach this to kids. And then I got there, right? And then suddenly it was like, I want to make a TV show or I want to be a speaker for kids. And now that's happening. And so I'm thinking even bigger. And for me, the dream is that kids know who I am. And it's not because I want fame or for no reason. I want them to know who I am because I remember what it feels like to be a kid, to be afraid to ask for help be able to not articulate my feelings to feel like alienated and to feel like people wouldn't take me seriously or the role that I was playing as the kid that was always okay like didn't fit how I felt and I just wish that I could have known like if I can't go to my family about this even if they're loving and kind if I feel uncomfortable or scared to go to them who can I go to And you got all these people in the public who are social media influencers and public figures for all these different things, but there are no like kid public figures that I can really think of that way. And so then we're asking these people who are social media influencers, a lot of times young people themselves to be the role models for kids when that's not really why they got into it. And so for me, for a long time, it's been like, I wanna be someone that kids know. So when they are feeling low, They can come to my work and they can come to my channel and come to my my show and learn some stuff and really practice it and and to choose me as a teacher. That's my vision is that they can choose and say, I want to learn from this person. And I've got lots of dreams around that, but I think that's kind of the overarching. So I, I want to do a national speaking tour I want to do like, I mean, big stuff. I think like a youth conference where there's like artists and speakers and activists, and they're literally there to talk to kids about feeling better and, and learning these skills and stuff like that. But I mean, the overarching dream for me is even bigger than I think myself. It's really about seeing kids treated better in our country and, and, and shifting the focus from just academics to whole development.
0: Yeah. If you could, if you could wave a magic wand. And every kid in this country would have three new superpowers. What would they be?
1: Oh wow, that's such a great question. Like actual superpowers no, or like, like skills, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I would want kids to feel gratitude because I think that really it, I work around three skills for kids. So it's interesting that you said that because I'm like, well, I know exactly right. <laughs> Positive self-talk. How do they talk to themselves, right? especially when they're struggling, um. especially when they're growing, growth mindset. And I know growth mindset is really big in academics, but also growth mindset and in, in just growing as a person, right? I'm not where I want to be yet and that's okay, right? I made this mistake in my life and that doesn't determine who I am as a person. I need to practice. I need to put effort, things like self-love, right? Things like advocacy, things like putting themselves out there, right? Because if you do it one time and it doesn't feel right, like that doesn't mean you quit. And so teaching kids growth mindset and then gratitude because gratitude really transforms the way that they see the world. So not just gratitude for other people, but gratitude for their environments, for their education, for the world, for our earth, but more importantly, gratitude for themselves. Like to ask a kid, what are you grateful for about yourself? to really own and and to be able to look inward and and access that inner knowledge and feel good about this is who I am. And this is why I'm grateful for that.
0: Wow. I'm getting a little bit emotional because Ah, I think, (laughs) because I think maybe if there were three things I would wish for fundraisers, they would be very similar. You know, like I think when I think about things that are hard or overcoming challenges, or what does it take to be resilient? Or how do you keep moving forward when you did just feel rejected or depleted or not good enough? It really is these three things. So it's really, it's really beautiful the way you talk about it. And you know, one of the things you said this word earlier, and and for me, it comes up a lot when I think about growth mindset. And I really love that you're talking about that in the different ways that you are, because I think it's so true. Like, yes, growth mindset when it comes to academics, sure. But I think when I think back to my life or like what brought me to this moment, it really is growth mindset around everything that like, yeah, that sucked, but it does not mean that I can't do it. Right. And I just never took one experience to tell a whole story about myself. And that for me really does kind of come back to those principles. And I think a skill inside that maybe that's been really helpful for me, which it sounds like you also think about is curiosity. Like where can you get curious? So tell me about like, how do you feel like you use curiosity for yourself with your kids? Like what role does it play?
1: Well, I mean, sometimes I think self-growth can be a trap. I think that sometimes the way that our society talks about it, and I have a lot of thoughts around why that is, but sometimes I'm really glad I had this wake up call when I was like 26, because I realized I was teaching growth in a way that almost can be harmful, where it's like, I'm not good enough. I need to be growing all of the time. I need to be growing. I need to fix this thing that's wrong with me. I need to look like this in order to feel happier, feel successful. I need to be grinding 110% of each single day or I'm going to miss my opportunity. I got really curious around why that was happening for me because I was putting that pressure on myself and, and and it didn't feel good. Everything felt like a nightmare. I was like always had this vision, but it never felt like I was making progress because I always felt like I wasn't good enough and I hadn't been I wasn't hitting the marks I needed to hit or hitting my achievements or making my smart goals and stuff like that. And I started to kind of ask myself because I used to be really judgmental. And so when I think about curiosity, it's like, be curious, not judgmental, especially around your growth or especially around a process because it's really easy to, to be hard on ourselves. I think that we kind of are taught to be hard on ourselves in a lot of ways, but it's really an act of kind of like radical compassion to be curious about what's coming up for you. Being curious allows us, I think, to be, compassionate with ourselves through things that are difficult. So I don't ever tell my kids to just be positive. I don't ever tell my kids to to look through rose colored glasses because that's not the way it works. And also because adversity and struggle really helps build us into who we are. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, one of the things I like about growth mindset is that when when things feel hard, Or when we hit these walls, right? Instead of blaming ourselves or being judgmental, we can get curious about what can we change, what can we do differently, what's working, what's not working, why is this working and why is this not working? Even asking simple things like, I was trying to wake up super early in the morning to get work done and I just couldn't do it. And I kept waking up and wasting my time and then I was judging myself. And then I got really curious and started wondering about like why why is this not working? And it wasn't working because I was working 15 hour days and then waking up two hours early instead of sleeping when I needed it. Right. But before it was like, you are wasting your time and you're wasting your life and blah, blah, blah. And then when I got curious and asked myself and looked at my full day and said, why is it that these two hours are not working for me? And then I realized that I was going to six or seven o'clock at night each day. And that wasn't changing because I was waking up. Suddenly I was not only able to be like, okay, I can pivot and change this pattern, but also be compassionate with myself and say, I need those two hours to sleep. This is really important to me. And it took all that judgment away, but it just came from this idea of being curious and saying, why is this not working? Right. And, and doing it almost like in a scientific kind of just looking at the patterns, looking at the data, which I never do because I'm all about like the feelings and stuff, but sometimes the feelings and stuff can get in the way. Especially if we um, are connected deeply to the work that we're doing, right? So when someone says, especially in the fundraiser, if you're so connected to this work and you're putting everything into it and you have someone say no, it can feel like a a personal rejection, right? And And then you're questioning, is this the right work? Am I the right person to be doing this work? Is this the right way to do this? And that can feel like our identity becomes unsafe around this work.
0: Totally. And it goes even deeper. I would say that the other self-talk that comes up is, did they not like me? Mm-hmm. Was I not good enough? I yeah. said something wrong. That one thing I said that one time or I shouldn't have put that word in the email, right? They and, and what I love, I mean, a huge part of my framework, the folks who are listening to this who work with me are like, oh my God, he's speaking your language because, because I talk a lot about judgment, curiosity being the solution to judgment and black and white thinking. And when we feel like there are no options available to us, it's because we're there. We're in black and white thinking. We're in judgment. I talk a lot about something called catabolic energy, which is like kind of depleting, exhausting, you know, energy that comes from that piece. Curiosity opens up a prism of opportunities because there could be so many reasons why you didn't want to get out of bed. And so all of a sudden, it's not bad or good, right? It's like there are all these other things that aren't so personal. And I just think that is such a critical component of all this. And so I just love that you are talking about it.
1: Well, I mean, it's interesting because that's kind of what happens with school. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of what happens with kids because we don't give kids a place to have an identity, right? So their identity lives within their family and then it lives within their academics. And then we judge kids for caring about their friends more. And we judge kids about caring about social media or about their, like, you know, their hobbies and stuff. But that's really the first place that they get to establish their own identity. But when you think about academics, a lot of times like kids would say to me, this is one of the most common things I hear from kids is that that teacher doesn't like me because my grade is bad. Right. So instead of recognizing that they're struggling in that or there's some kind of disconnect between them and that learning, it's about that person doesn't like me. I'm not safe in that class. I'm not safe with math. I'm not safe with, um, you know, male teachers. I'm not safe with blah, 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 because it becomes about this feels like a personal thing. It's not that my math work is bad. It's that I'm bad. And and we as adults can kind of recognize that and be like, well, that's, of course, that's not the case, but who is explicitly telling kids that, right? And who is also explicitly telling people that, that when someone says no, especially around things like um, asking for resources, right? Or even like boundary setting, that it's not a personal rejection every single time, right? And most of the time, even if it is a personal, something personal, that's still them, Mm -hmm. right? That's still how they're receiving you. Versus how you really, really are.
0: Yeah. And that that's okay. You know, like, I think one of the things I want fundraisers to realize is like, not everyone's going to want to give to your organization for many reasons. I hear all the time about why someone doesn't like me. I talk too fast. I talk too loud. I, whatever, you know, their opinion of me. Okay. Okay. Move on. You know, I think about even in the, you know, studied social entrepreneurship, you know, I think about in the for-profit world when people think about sales or conversion percentages on sales they think about it in the positive right they're like a 10% conversion rate is really good but in the nonprofit world because they're stuck in scarcity mindset all they're thinking about is like the 90% that didn't do the thing, right? And they're stuck, there, obsessing about it, not letting go of it, unable to move on. And I think like these three principles that you bring up, like the self-talk, growth mindset, gratitude, that's how you like move forward from paralysis
1: around stuff like that. Yeah. How can you be grateful for a negative experience? Well, it's like, what did you learn from this? Mm -hmm. Right. And if you didn't learn anything, like you did it, right. I'm grateful for the effort. We tried and we move on. And it's interesting because now that I've moved into coaching for kids, one of my biggest principles is that the kid has to sign off. And so if the parents say, we want them to do it no matter what, and the kid says, I don't want this, then I don't do it. And that's tough because I can have every reason why this kid needs to do this But also, I just understand that this work is not going to resonate with everyone. Not every parent, not every kid is going to think that this work is important. And that doesn't make it any less important. That doesn't take away any of my value. And it's been such a challenging thing to kind of like swallow, like this kid being like, no thanks, I don't want this. And me being like, okay. And me leading forward and being like, I still feel good about myself. I still feel good about what I'm offering because I do know that for every one person that says no, that there's a plethora of people out there who are going to say yes. And so if you say no, you're helping me out because that means I got to go on to the next one. i not got to waste my time trying to force you if you <laughs> let me know. Cool. I have to pass. Thanks. I'll go on yes. to next one.
0: And you know that that engagement, I used to coach high school students around test anxiety a little bit too. And I had the same practice, you know, the parents would be desperate and I would be like, your kid has to choose this. Like they have to, because conscious choice, I mean, it's going to change the entire arrangement going to change everything. And it's true. Now I get people hit me up. I want to get my wife a coaching package. And I'm like, no, (laughs) there's no gifting coaching without people wanting it because wanting to be coached is such a key component of effective coaching. And I think I also say a lot, like you have to find the right coach for you. You know, sometimes someone else will say the same thing that I did, but somebody wants to work with them. I don't know what that is. It's energy. It's something that made them feel connected. Go work with them. Like that's the best thing you could possibly do is work with the person you feel like in whatever capacity it is that was meant for you, because that's, what's going to inspire you to grow and change. That's, what's going to help you believe in yourself, you know, and we don't need to be everything for everyone. What I hope more than anything is that people find the people for them.
1: I mean, in the fundraiser, I think that was one of the things that pushed me away from nonprofits so much was that scarcity mindset. And I worked in a nonprofit that was amazing, but I watched them struggle around this process. And it wasn't like doing the paperwork, but it was asking and and handling the rejection or having a donor who was a huge donor for three years who drops out suddenly and then seeing their whole world collapse around that. And I've been, I've worked with some nonprofits that have been very much growth mindset and some profits that are like, cool. She said, no, I got five other people I'm already asking, right? Which has been really inspirational, but I've also seen a vision get kind of corrupted because there's so much anxiety around this process of putting themselves out there and asking for what they need because rejection is not something that we're taught how to deal with in our personal or professional lives, right? And I think that those three skills can really allow us to see rejection as a no, personal attack.
0: Mm -hmm. Totally, yes, yes. And I love like even the gratitude piece. It's like, I'm so grateful that I put myself out there. I'm so grateful that I asked I'm so grateful that the donor knows themselves and knows what they care about. You know, I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, that they're going to go off and invest in the thing that is really meaningful, is really moving for them. And I think it all goes back to what you said at the very beginning, where it's like it's around the power of why, you know, it's like when we have that clarity around, the purpose of what we're doing. That's how I, like so much when you were talking, I was just like, that is how I feel too. It's like, I see this North star. I know it's possible. I have no idea the twists and turns that it's going to take to get there. I am sure I'm going to have to pivot a million times over, but I see the star and I know that in every direction, at every turn, it's one step closer even if it teaches me how wrong that step was, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, so good that my clients come to me all the time. Like, oh my God, like I got this like bad feedback. And I'm like, hooray.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I started asking people in my life recently what my blind spots were. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, what is the thing people complain about when I'm not in the room? And they were like, oh, I don't really, uh, nothing, nothing. And I was like, no, come on. I know there's something, right? Is it that I like overcommit myself? Is it that I'm obnoxious? Is it that I get too self-centered sometimes, right? And then won't tell me because I think even giving, Feedback can feel really tough for people. And it just, it's so much connected to, I just have been thinking so much about this idea of like safety within ourselves, yes. right? Is that no matter what no you get, you push forward because all these things out there, people are seeing my work blow up right now, but they have also not seen me be denied a thousand times from organizations I've tried to partner with. Some people who have reached out to me at least recently, literally denied me three years ago. I don't even know if they know I'm the same person, <laughs> right? Like, I don't even know if they know. I mean, I, I've been applying for this TED fellowship for like the past three years and it's never worked. And then this year they asked me to apply for it. And I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't take it in, and hold it like, a, like, you know, they missed their opportunity. It was just like, okay, like the message has gotten stronger. The vision is clearer. My why is stronger, right? And, and it's going to attract more opportunities. So I think as long as I stay connected, to my why I have complete confidence I mean I'm leaving the teaching system to pursue a career that doesn't exist people are asking me what path I took so they could follow and I'm like you can't <laughs> I can't tell don't do what I'm doing <laughs> I don't know what to tell you right but it's because I'm so centered in my my why but I'm also really grounded in myself and a lot of times those things are very much connected to each other right my why really came from It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds
0: by investing in a donor database that they actually loved using. First T of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First T of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com whatthefundraising backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes.
1: And a lot of times in nonprofits and fundraisers, people are directly connected to these things in a way that it's either something that they experience or people that they love experience or people in their community or um you know people that they care about deeply mm. like they want to do this work for and so i think that passion work sometimes can really be scary because it's like you're not just saying oh let me sell you a car right You're like, let me ask you for your money to support these people. And if you say no, then I'm letting these people down or I'm letting this cause down. And in reality, all of that fretting and all that struggle is energy, energy that can be put into the next ask or energy that can be put into the recovery or the process of breaking it down, right? But we just get so caught up in this. It's me. It's me. I'm not good enough. I messed up versus it is what it is. The other stuff is just the story I'm telling myself.
0: Exactly. Oh my gosh. So I want to go there, but I I want to go back to something that you said when you were talking about asking the people in your life to give you hard feedback. And as you were saying it, I was imagining doing it too. And, and I'm going to be honest, like, I feel like I'm someone very grounded in myself. I'm visible. I get all types of feedback all the time. But I do feel like if I had the people I love the most say some really hard things, especially actually, if those were things that I also kind of know to be true, that it would hurt. Now, would it paralyze me? I hope not. I don't think so. So tell me, what's your process when you do maybe have those gut shots in your life and you're like, man, that hurts, but I am safe, you know, cause I feel like that when you were saying that I, my question for you, which then you used the word safe was going to be, how do you feel so safe to let yourself ask that question?
1: I mean, for me, first of all, if I'm asking people that question, there's a why behind it, which if I'm asking people that, because I have like siblings and stuff, you know, we have family drama, and everyone has that thing to date. And, and I just want to know, because I can see the, the impact it's having on other people when these things go unchecked, when these behaviors go unchecked or, you know, not brought to the surface. And I just want to know for deeper relationships. I want to know. So I'm not hurting the people in my life. I want to know so I can grow and be a better person. I'm constantly asking my kids for feedback and they are tough. (laughs) I mean, feedback from adults, whatever, I'll take it. Right. Feedback from a kid saying that this is boring or that, you know, you're, you're too fast or this is too much. That's the stuff that would really mess me up. But really quickly, it was like, I'm asking so I can serve them better, right? And my why is I'm asking you for feedback because I want to know how I can support you better, right? If I'm serving you or if I'm impacting you, right, I want to know how to do it. I want to know how to do it better. And I think that I do have to feel safe inside myself. It's why I practice self-love. It's why I'm so big on strength identification and articulation. It's why I'm so big on my core values, because at the end of the day, even if a whole group was like, you messed up and we're mad at you and we we don't like what you did, right? I can still deal with that, but also not have that crush and collapse, this inner sanctuary like I have. I have this like little cross-stitch that my cousin got me that says, bless this mess, because I was talking about building a home within myself. Because for a long time, I was always searching for a home outside myself. And whether it was a person or a cause, right? Because a lot of times we kind of give our whole selves to a cause, then it wasn't safe. If that cause fell through, if that relationship broke up, or if something changed with those things, then suddenly that safety would be gone. But when I have that safety within me, when I have that house, that shelter, right? Like I can recuperate, I can recover, I can rebuild, but it's safe to do it. I'm not going to beat myself up for years over it. I'm not going to suddenly shift the way I view myself because I made a mistake or because people don't like the work that I did. Putting my work out here, I'm super emotional. A lot of people have told me not to tell kids I love them and stuff like that. And I've had to stand by it because it's who I am as a person, what my values are as a person. But I've also learned how to pay attention to why people are saying that. And I learned about child, keeping kids safe and appropriate child and adult uh, boundaries. Right. So it wasn't like I was just ignoring them and saying like, I love myself. I don't care. Right. It was like, this is important to me. This is why I do it. But also my why says I'm going to serve kids better. So if people are giving me feedback that's saying I'm putting kids in dangerous way by doing this, I want to listen to it a little bit and just see what I can take from it and what I can leave. I think an inner sanctuary is super important. Like it's massive.
0: Yeah. I think it's probably one of the most missing components from nonprofit professional development, maybe all professional development, but thinking about how much, like you're saying, being cause oriented requires you to sort of give over this sense of self and then also, or doesn't require you, but sort of the structural system feels like it, you know, and that that's what's expected of you. And, and then how deeply you feel and the people who are coming to the nonprofit sector often being, you know, incredibly empathetic and strong helper energy is their sponges. And then within that, there is so much of Our emotional experience, I'll just speak for myself in my first, you know, 10, 13 years in this work was like so much of my lived daily experience were the waves of what was happening around me. And that is a really dangerous place to lead from. And it's definitely not sustainable. I mean, the way that I sort of came to my work now was a real breaking point. I developed chronic pain and I was just, what? This cannot be the only way. I was like, I just refuse to accept that this is the way this sector is supposed to operate and that we're going to solve the biggest problems of our time doing this. It's just, I don't believe it. And so I really started to look, You know, I went through executive coach certification. I started to study behavior change and habit building, design thinking. Like I really was like, I'm leaving you mentally for now, nonprofit sector. And I'm seeking answers elsewhere. And it was there that I found we've actually just put a bunch of limiting beliefs on top of this sector based on the history of its development. And we're all just learning best practices from like a totally mediocre structure.
1: I mean, are you talking about education right now? I
0: see, uh, Well, (laughs) so I like, that kind of like pinged in my head. I was like, maybe, yeah.
1: I mean, that's exactly what it is because I personally, the work I wanna do, I even have people say like, well, you should get credentialed. And I said, I can't teach the work I wanna get. I teach credentials like, well, you could do English or art and just like change it. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to go through three years of school to have this eaten out of me and to learn all these skills that all these other teachers are already teaching, right? I'm not going to do it. But also because what you were saying, when I first started doing this work with kids, like creating safe spaces for them, it was not safe for me. So I would create safe spaces for them and kids would come and they were dumb. Right, they would tell me everything from self harm to self hate to just having to do abuse stuff, where I would have to like actually report it, and it was not sustainable. And in this group, I had I had a group for two years. They were the group I did these three skills with. Once I was done with that, I was like, I can't do this because it's too much. Like the way I love and care for them is too much, and that's why I've never been on in any of these stories, being like, you should tell your kids this, and because I don't believe that because it's not sustainable for everyone. And so instead of quitting. And just being like, I can't do this because it's too hard. I'm like, I'm going to find another way to do it. And so th- that's why I want to do this TV show or this content creation, because it allows me to teach the things I need to teach, but not have to personally invest in every single kid because that's not sustainable. I can't do it. Those kids I had for two, I have a tattoo for them. That's how that's how big that group was to me. And then I was like, no more. Like, I can't do that again because it was way not sustainable, but also because It was really about, I lost myself in the work for a bit. And you can't be a shoulder to lean on if you're not standing up straight. And that's so much of the nonprofit sector I saw was like these people who really have these beautiful values and really want to help and serve people and do servant leadership, but were not being taken care of and not taking care of themselves and being in systems that don't support them, right, or are doing the same strategies that lead to burnout or that lead to, unfortunately, martyrism, right, where people are literally sacrificing their lives for this stuff. I've had to say to myself a few times recently, like, if I wanted to quit, I can quit. And and I'm not going to, but I just have to say it out loud sometimes, where it's just like, yo, if you don't want to do this, you don't have to do this. I don't owe this to anyone, but then that's where that why comes back
0: totally i had a massive breakdown a few weeks ago like every single technology system i used to run like broke one after the other and i had like 15 minute breaks between meetings and was trying to fix them like full breakdown Ooh. and i called my friend crying at the end of the day and i said just offer me a job just he works at a huge fortune 500 company <laughs> and i was like i just need you to go through the steps just yeah. offer me a job in your department and he yeah. did and i was like Great. No, thank you. And I I was like, I just like needed to be reminded. And he was like, I'd hire you in a second. Are you serious? And I was like, just let's just play this out, you know? Because I just knew that I needed. I
1: mean, I love that. I I had this experience and I and I just talked to this kid about this the other day. And I think that I didn't really understand the significance of it until this conversation that we were having because I was sitting through like an academic meeting and they got really upset because they just wanted to talk about the data. And I get it, right? But I was just like, they were the way that they were talking about the kids was just so dehumanizing. And I know that these teachers care. I know that this school cares, but that's just the system, right? We got to look at their reading data because we've got to support their reading learning. I get that, but my God, it was so frustrating. And so then I like left And I was in the McDonald's parking lot in my car. And I think I posted it on Instagram. I rarely do an unhinged emotional video, (laughs) but I did that day, right? I'm usually pretty intentional about my emotions. But I was like, why am I doing this? Does anyone even want this? Because this is before any of the stuff blew up. So I was like, do kids want this? Like, am I fighting for something that I just think is right? And it wasn't being received and it wasn't being taken seriously. And I tried to remember my why and I couldn't. And what was really beautiful about that moment was there was this um, young man, he's 19 now, but I've been working with him since he was 11. He saw it and he messaged me and he was like, I don't know what to say except for when I needed you and I needed someone, you were there and it changed my life. And he was like, the work that you did changed my life and I'm doing what I love now because of you. And that was my why, right? So sometimes we can, we can internally generate it. And sometimes we need need testimonials or we need people or we need, you know, opportunity for someone else to remind us of our whys. And kids are always the go-to. So at the end of the day, I got two jars full of notes right here behind me. And when I'm struggling and I'm afraid before I'm about to take on something really big, before I'm about to put something out there and I'm feeling nervous or feeling that fear of rejection, I read it. I read those notes and I'm reminded instantly. It usually takes me one or two notes and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was say,
0: I'll give you my cell phone number. You call me anytime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're from the same cloth, my friend. I, mean, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. But it's so interesting because this is the first conversation I've had where even a lot of the skills I'm teaching, people are still automatically applying it to academics for kids. But for me, I'll get these messages from adults who are like, well, I need this. I need this for myself. This isn't just for kids. And I'm like, yeah, because it's human work. It's human work. And we are often isolating kids from humanity, saying that they are not. The way that we talk about kids is as if they were another species on this planet, right? As if they didn't have the same experiences and emotions and feelings and fears and internal barriers that we do. And in reality. The reason we have them is because it started when we were kids, right? Totally. A lot of the people who do service work in general, right, are people who care. And a lot of times those roles started when they were kids, when they saw injustice, or they knew that being the one that was good, to, like took care of their family, or they had to take care of their siblings, or they, you know, had some experience and trauma in their life. And so now they're trying to give back. And And it's so important that I think that those people learn how to take care of themselves and how to separate and understand that this passion and this cause is just a part of them, right? I can take this out and I can put it right here and I'm still here. I'm still me. I'm still valid. I'm still who I am. And I can pick it up and put it back in. Right. But a lot of times it feels really like this is who I am and there's nothing more to me. And if I don't have this, then I have nothing. And I think that sometimes those micro experiences of asking for something And someone saying no feels like a no to the full thing.
0: Totally. You know what I mean? 100%. 100%. (laughs) No, 100%. So inside my course, I do something called the seven day no challenge, where I have fundraisers call donors and ask them, cold call donors and ask them for donations. But their job is to celebrate the no's. And their job is to get to a certain amount of no's because I'm like, you just got to build it up. It's like building a callus kind of, you know, because the weight of them feels so big. They feel so personal. And I mean, I think this inner sanctuary work, you know, something that you were just saying, people ask me a lot, who's inside your program? Are they new fundraisers? Are they people who've been fundraising for a long time? And I'm like, they're both. I actually have the most diverse clientele, probably of most nonprofit consultants. And I also love that you aren't putting yourself in a box because I will tell you, every single thing that makes me check, like, what are you? I'm like, none of these things, or four of those things, and I don't fit into any of your definitions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, the thing is, if you're a new fundraiser, you're going to come into my course, you're going to start working with me, and you're going to be programmed from the round up with a different way of thinking about fundraising but if you've been fundraising for 10 years 25 years then it's you're being reprogrammed yeah right it's important for both and I think what you're saying that's so critical is like gosh so much of adulthood and this work that you and I are talking about is unteaching. People ask me all the time about all the things that are additive in terms of my work. And I'm like, yes, I have a framework for this and I have a framework for this. But actually a lot of what I'm teaching is like how to undo things or how to get things out of your way.
1: And you know what? I think about this. It's just awesome that you said this because it just validates how how much I resonate with you is that a lot of the reasons I teach kids this right now is because so many people, not everyone. And that's not even a judgmental thing, but the people who choose to do it or the people who are given the opportunities have to spend so much time in their 20s and 30s undoing what was done to them or what they learned in terms of how to show up or survive in the world, right? And it's why self-help is such a huge industry that grows every single year is because people are waking up the fact that what they're being taught and what they learned wasn't necessarily thriving. It was a lot about surviving. And so for me, that's a lot of energy. That's a lot of energy. My 20s, like I wouldn't change my 20s only because I'm, I am where I am right now because of it. But at the same time, I think about what I could have done with that energy if I didn't have to spend it all on undoing all these things. Instead, I had these groundwork, this foundation, right? That energy is going to go somewhere else. And when you think about what's going on in the world in terms of all sorts of issues, we are sending kids into battle unequipped basically, and kids are getting wrecked and kids are getting, and young people are getting destroyed and, and people are taking their lives because they're so unequipped with dealing with themselves and being with themselves because of all these things they learned with their kids. So in my head, I'm like, if we can teach these skills to these kids, they're going to have a lot more energy to take on the bigger things. They're going to have a lot more energy to take risks and to be vulnerable and to stand up for what they believe in and to fight for what they believe in. Right. I mean, it's beautiful to see young people fighting for what they believe in, but it's not as common as it should be because they're just trying to survive. There's very few kids out there thriving, right, because they're, unless they have perfect storm of circumstances or teachers or parents who, are, who will help teach them these things, it's that cycle repeated. And I worked with college students and I saw how tough they were on themselves. And I saw how down they would get about their grades and how awful they were at self-care. And, and then they were like learning of, to be nice to themselves and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is like time you could be learning about causes or passions or your skills that you want to develop, right? Mm-hmm. So I think about how important this stuff is all the time. Yeah. Non-stop. It really informs the work I do because it's a part of my why.
0: Yeah. There are two things that you said that I just want to make sure everyone hears because I I think it's so critical that you sort of alluded to. One is that energy transfers no matter what. You decide how it transfers, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, energy is constantly transferring. I think being aware of that is such a critical piece. I mean, I think even in the way we transfer it to each other, you know, there've been so many times where, like, like I knew exactly who to call when I had that meltdown, where like it wasn't going to be about him, and you know, and he was going to be able to just hold space and like let me cry and say the right thing and not take it on. But you know, there aren't a lot of people that I would call in that state necessarily because I don't want to transfer that. Like, I knew he was able to, and he offered, of course, but that piece. So energy transferring, I think is critical. And then this, you said a few minutes, you were talking about the jar and reading the notes from the kids. And I think the piece there that is so kind of profound to think about is that as safe as you feel inside yourself, as grounded as you feel inside yourself, you still utilize tools and things like that, you're still looking for support outside of yourself. And so I think for folks who are listening that feel like they're light years away from feeling internal safety, to know that there are people and things out there to ground you back in, I just think it's really beautiful to think it's always like both and.
1: I'm glad that you said that too, because that was kind of a learning thing for me right now, because it's practices. These are practices. Those are just two of my practices. I'm, you know, it's just like you clean your house, right? You maintain your house, you build onto your house. It's the same thing. And I don't do it just being like, okay, I'm better, right? You know what I mean?
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. I, don't do it. I have like
1: three practices all the time. I mean, even my, oh, I don't know where my wallet is, but I have my, like, I love you card. I still do it. Mm. I pull out, here it is, just so you can see it. This is from like, four years ago three or four years ago and every time I open my wallet I stop and I do it because it's maintaining it these are practices looking at the jar is a a practice that helps me keep that home safe keep that inner sanctuary safe because I think if I just focused on myself I would I would also miss out on the beautiful connections and Mm -hmm. grace that the world has to offer through dealing with people and dealing with support there's some stuff I can't give myself Mm -hmm. right I can't give myself the feeling that kids give me. I can't. Mm -hmm. I wish I could because then I wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't do anything, right? But every time I step into the room with kids, I'm reminded. That's why I was Mm -hmm. crying when we got on this call because I'm reminded how deeply important my why is to me. And and I think that my why lives within me, but it also very much lives outside of me. And the why that lives within me, I want to protect and keep safe, right? nurture and take care of but the why outside of me is a little bit more volatile and that's the one where it's like the the struggle comes into it and like the rejection comes into it like Mm. that's that's the outside why Mm -hmm. the inner why is something that no one can really touch that's that's my inherent truth that I know more than anything else I know in the world that is is right Mm. and I don't let anyone touch that which Mm -hmm. is that we got to treat kids better (laughs) so and then the outside why is like after school programs or curriculum or speaking or what do I do or I should try this like strategy or try this strategy. And so I think that with for people who are doing fundraising, being aware of your why may not feel like enough. Right. And it, but I think that it's a multifaceted why or it's a multifaceted process in terms of asking for that, I guess. Mm
0: -hmm. And practice. I say that all the time. It's like you're building a muscle and you know what? No, maybe you got some huge rejection. That's like trying to lift a 200 pound weight and then feel positive after you're right. That's not going to happen. And I also, I made a post recently that was like, I will never say like, be positive. I hate stuff like that. I I hate that that stuff. What is it? It's like, oh my God, that's the worst advice I've literally ever heard
1: in my life. Well, I mean, we're always trying to, I think, glamorize positivity in a lot of ways because positivity feels pleasant. And I've been teaching my kids a lot about emotions because they'll say good or bad emotions. And I'm like, it's pleasant or unpleasant emotions. Mm. But everything positive and negative serves us in a way if we allow them to, right? mean, it's not saying that every bad thing that happens is like a good thing in disguise. That's not what it is at all. But the fact is we live in a planet and we live in a world where they exist Where good and bad exist. And, and within us, good and bad exist. And it's really about like, it, it's just, these negative and positive feelings exist. Mm -hmm. There's no morality to them. So it's not the good and bad, but it's that positive and negative exist and they also serve their purpose. Mm. Just like failure serves its purpose and rejection serves its purpose, but we don't want to feel unpleasant. So I think Mm. a lot of times in our society, we always want to push for feeling pleasant and that's not the case. That's not the case all the time. Some of the most pleasant I've felt in my life has come through getting through the unpleasant. Mm. Right. It's not because suddenly things are pleasant. It's because I just went through the toughest time in my life. And here's what I did to get better. Right. Here's Mm -hmm. how I got to this pleasant. That pleasant becomes so much more better when I realize how connected it is to the unpleasant. Right. Losing my dad as a kid is why I'm here in a lot of ways. And I'm never going to be like, thank God my dad died. Right. I'm never going to say that. But at the same time, I can't change that. Yeah but it's helped me so much really land in a positive space that I don't even know I could have accessed if I hadn't had such a negative experience.
0: Wow. Okay. I want to be sensitive to your time. So as a final question, I'd love to have you highlight a nonprofit that you love and care about and folks can go check out and give if they're able and inspired. So I'll hand it to you.
1: Yeah. So there is an organization called GiveThanks.org. And what I really love about them is that they have created an academic app that connects gratitude and creates basically like a social media in school network for kids to give gratitude and practice gratitude, but also connects it to social emotional learning skills that are being developed and pushed throughout our country. Give thanks is in a few school districts, but it's still pretty new and yeah, I, mean, I think they're doing in my opinion, the work if I was good at doing curriculum in schools, this is what it would look like. So a lot of times this work, people don't understand how this work can show up in an academic mm-hmm. setting and I think they're doing a really beautiful job of doing that. Another nonprofit that I am super excited about is called Brave Trails and Brave Trails does summer camps and youth programming for LGBTQ kids they are literally some of the best safe space creators out there, especially for this segment of our population that often feels very unsafe. And they have lots of opportunities to support campers and support their programs. But uh, Brave Trails is really, really hitting the nail on the head when it comes to creating safety and helping kids create safety within themselves.
0: Awesome. And I will put links to all of that below. And then also just tell folks, because I'm sure they're so moved and inspired by this conversation and you, where can they find you?
1: I am on social media. My three main ones right now are Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And they're all under the handle DonoFriend, D-O-N-O-F-R-I-E-N-D. I love messaging, even though it takes me a long time. So please feel free to reach out and then I think right now my ask is just if it resonates with you share it
0: awesome and I will make sure all links and everything are below this episode people can find you and follow you and thank you so much
1: you're great you're wonderful I I appreciate this opportunity so much
0: you can see, this conversation moved me to tears multiple times. And so if you take one thing away from this, I hope it's that first and foremost, your work is hard. Doing mission-driven impact work is deeply emotional, and it often feels deeply personal and takes work and tools in order to create the inner safety that we talk about today right? And that Donovan has demonstrated such an incredible way of building support systems around. This is certainly not the end of this conversation, but for now, head on over to malloryerickson.com podcast for the detailed show notes and access to more resources for my 15 years of fundraising. Most importantly, thank you for spending this time with us today. I am so grateful for all of my listeners, especially you and your commitment to fundamentally changing the way that you lead and fundraise on my website. You'll also find out more about Donovan and how you can get in touch with him to learn more about his incredible work. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week.